0: Sometimes we do things without putting a tremendous amount of time into considering either the value or the cost. And as the old cliche states, hindsight is twenty twenty, and we can only understand what we've gained and lost once we've passed that certain event in our lives. But is that really always the case? Hey, this is Hugh Harper, and I had always been one of those people who would go about and do things on a whimsy, or do it as a dare, or because some ADD-driven madness. Oh, that's nice and shiny. (laughs) Now, there's nothing wrong with doing things this way, because while there is certainly a cost to doing life this way, there's also a value. Now, when I was 18 years old, after watching a television sitcom where the characters, on a whim, mind you, decided to go skydiving. So, immediately, three of my friends at the time and I decided, for a laugh, to try the same thing. In Freedom, Pennsylvania, only about five miles from where I lived, in a cornfield overlooking the Ohio River, was the Kindleberg Airport, which sounds, by the way, a lot like Hindenburg. Oh, the humanity! And all the passengers screaming. Decisions, here, huh? regardless of foreknowledge of the perils of skydiving, were made. We took the three-hour course with a couple of guys who at the time looked qualified. It seemed logical to us. and they assured the three of us that we'd be fine and that they'd packed the chutes in the torso-sized backpacks themselves. Assured. <laughs> no problem, right? For three hours we were given lessons on how to work with gravity and how not to work with gravity, and what to do if the chute doesn't cooperate with gravity properly. Even though they reassured us once again that they'd put things in order in the pack. And 8 out of 10 times, eh, you know, what could go wrong? After putting on our jumpsuits and packs and enjoying what very well could have been our last cigarettes at the time. We packed all of our long hair under our helmets and walked to our plane. A red tin can, single propeller, shoulder winged and strutted piece of scrap metal, and we all pondered whether this thing would even get off the ground. We loaded into the side of the Red Baron's slower cousin's airplane. I boarded last because I wanted to hurt myself first. The pilot, some 40-something-year-old hippie with long flowing knotted locks of matted salt and pepper hair under a well-oiled stained orange ball cap, sat in the seat. With a darkened set of chompers, he glanced back at everybody with a menacing Manson-esque grin and the engine suddenly sputtered to life. I couldn't say for certain, but from the pilot's direction came the familiar smells of old mud and cheap bud, which has the pungent odor of freshly clipped grass. We shut the door and ambled down the runway, which was simply cutaway stalks of corn. Bumping and sputtering, the airplane sped up with all the uproar of a bogged down lawnmower, and before you could say, holy shit, we were up and over the valley. The river greeted us from below and there was a calm. The engine cadenced on in a softer, more experienced tone, happily ascending to the designated altitude of 3,800 feet. Under us, surface dwellers raced off to mundane insignificance as we embraced the lives of angels if but for a few blissful moments. It wasn't long before the instructor opened the door our airspeed had dropped to barely cruising. To be honest, I didn't want to hang in the airplane anyway. It was, as mentioned, a rickety tin can of a machine piloted by a burned-out Vietnam War bush pilot. The instructor looked at me with his gunmetal eyes on full squint. I really didn't need that much coaxing, though, and said, get out and hang. On the wing strut, that is. Get out and hang became my rally cry after that. It was a phrase that meant no one else is going to do it for you. So out on the strut I went. My feet went straight down. I guess I had imagined them flying like a flag behind me at first, but nope, they hung below me. Not a shadow cast upon the open ground below. This was really happening. Uh. I wasn't climbing back into the airplane, and I guess I came to grips with knowing that it wouldn't hurt. The instructor, with a Cheshire Cat grin on his face, tapped me on the back of the helmet and yelled, Let go! Small diversion. There are only a few things that we all do when faced with trials of uncertainty or of certain death. We either retreat and try to swim back to hence we came, which in 99 out of 100 times is completely absurd and, as in the case of gravity, pointless. Or we take all of those little life lessons we accrued over time and we allow ourselves the luxury of simply letting go and relying on them. Well, I let go and held that spread eagle free fall position. It was extremely satisfying somehow to watch the plane pull in front of me as I lost altitude. Something about closure, perhaps, I guess. Admittedly, I was loosely attached by a thin cord, allowing me the luxury of falling for seven to eight seconds in a blissful state of finality. And then the parachute opened to reveal its heavenly glow. I screamed with joy, (laughs) We hear you, Hugh came over the speaker on my left shoulder. Sounding good. Now pump the brakes. Pumping the brakes was a phrase used to remind the diver to open the baffles, which would give the ability to slow the descent and give a bit of steering. I grabbed the toggles and pulled. One of them was not working. I conveyed the message to no avail, but all seemed to go well nevertheless. Enjoy the ride! Apparently, this was the signal that I wasn't going to die, at least not from a malfunctioning chute or a rickety tin can aircraft. After a few moments of corkscrewing and rolling with it, I landed, hitting the target dead on, but slipping on my rear end. We drove home that day with a certificate of accomplishment and a need for silence. No ACDC, no Sabbath, no rush, just the humming of the automobile and the occasional flick of a cigarette lighter. I was living with my parents at the time, and I placed the certificate on the kitchen table for them to see and left to hang out for a couple of beers and some reminiscing by a campfire. When I arrived at home, I was asked, how could you jump out of a perfectly good airplane? Well, it wasn't perfectly good. Listen, what was the cost of the jump? A hundred bucks. What was the value of improvising the day and doing something like this and many other things, like racing motorcycles, skipping college commencement, adopting our daughter, saying yes to something you never in a million years would have ever considered, fail or success? A lifetime of stories, a perspective, an experience, a will to try new things, regrets, maybe, lessons about life. So which has more weight? To watch the costs, or to engage with the potential value. Now listen, Disney is available for folks who are watching the costs and already know what the value is. I guess that's fine every once in a while, but I prefer whimsy. Unlike a roller coaster, the ride can be perilous and wild, and knowing when it ends, well, sometimes you know and sometimes you don't. Like the skydiving instructor said while we were about to fall, sometimes, if not all the time, you've got to get out and hang. This is Hugh Harper, and remember, it's not how good you are, it's how you do good.